I want to talk, this is kind of going to be scrambled eggs. You know scrambled eggs? All of you have eaten scrambled eggs, right? You throw the eggs in the pan. Maybe you put something with them, some cheese or something. You kind of sit there and put them on the fire and beat them around. That's what I'm going to do tonight. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do tonight. I debated whether to do this or not and how to do it, but I'm going to do it. You know, I pray that God would guide every, I never get up here lightly. Never, never. I've been amazed that my uh, brother Whiff and I, brother Todd Whiff and I, are amazed at how our lessons overlap. Now, I do not ask him what he's going to teach, and he does not ask me. And we do not confer back and forth or plan anything, but today's lesson overlapped. The last four, five, six, seven lessons that he's done and my sermons have overlapped each other. We don't mean to do that. We really don't mean to do that. But he has a spy at my house. No, the Holy Spirit of God just leading us together as we do this. And also these songs, which I don't, I don't talk to Jim not about the songs, but the songs today fit exactly with what I wanted to do. The whole theme and everything fit in the, uh, it was just amazing to watch the Holy Spirit work. My brother and I vacationed for 35 years in Key West. It was one of them God things. Basically, we didn't have money. I didn't have money to go on vacation pretty much anywhere. And so I was trying to figure a way to go on vacation for cheap. And in 1979, I bought a, I did some work for a guy and actually traded out some work and bought a 17-foot boat, 115 Johnson. And it was a, wasn't a real nice boat, but it did what it was supposed to do. And so we decided to, I said, let's go to Key West and see if we can catch some of those lobsters they talk about. So we uh, went down there, drove down there, and that was when the old bridge was still where we went across the... Railroad trussel, it was a railroad. Originally, it was a railroad bridge. And then we went, and I'm telling you, the mirrors on my van, I pulled my mirrors in because a lot of people would go by me and their passenger window would be broken or the driver window would be broken because the mirrors hit and the mirrors would hit the window and break this window right beside you. That's how, that's how close it was when a semi would go by you. And I never thought we'd make it alive, but finally made it down there. And uh, we started going to a place called Harpoon Harry's, which made, uh, I'd never had coffee cone leche Cuban style. What I didn't realize is that the Cubans are pretty much in the fish business. They, they pretty much own the fish business in Miami area and, and the Keys. They're the major player in that area. And so when you're, we, were, we had our wholesale license, we would catch lobsters and shoot fish, grouper, black grouper, red grouper, snapper and such, and sell them to pay for the trip, pay for the motel, pay for the gas, pay for everything. Come home sometimes with money, pretty amazing. And that was one of the reasons why we did it so long. Also, the variety of diving, never two days are alike. You don't have two days are alike. It's amazingly, God has made that. And only the only people that ever begin to, all that he's made out there and put out there, the, the, the colors, only really were witnessed uh, by, because Jacques Cousteau invented the Aqualung in 1948. And that made going underwater accessible to the average person. Otherwise, it was a hard hat. It had to be real complex and almost military to do that. Nobody really, very, very, very few people got to see what was under the water. 
except when uh, God let the invention of the aqualung come along, and that allowed people to do what they call sport diving, which is what we did. We were eating uh, every every morning at 6.30, we were at the restaurant having breakfast, because we're run by, even when I'm on vacation, I have a schedule. I don't li- I can't live without a schedule. I have to have a schedule. On a vacation, we never sleep in. God forbid you sleep in and waste your vacation. Some, some people I've known do what I call recreational sleeping. But, oh, man, we'd be up at the restaurant ready to go when it got light. And so we'd be at the restaurant having us some coffee con leche. Oh, oh. Coffee con leche. And some, you know, food in the morning. And we see the Key West has gathered. I'm going somewhere with all this. Key, Key West has gathered by the nature of the place. It's the end of the world. When you go to Key West, it's the, as far as the road goes. So a lot of times the homeless people, we call them a lot of times, you want to call them bums, sometimes drug addicts, sometimes people are mentally ill. That's what makes them homeless. Either drug addiction, alcohol addiction, mentally ill. That accounts for most of your homeless people. People that can work almost never stay homeless. It's the people that have those three things I mentioned that are not employable. And they, they, they get homeless and stay homeless. Uh, so they're down there living because the weather is pretty good down there. The ocean stays pretty warm on that island. So they kind of make their way down to Key West and they would walk around. And we'd be in the restaurant and we'd see them walking back and forth. There was this one particular guy there. And he had a, he, he, Tom Gillespie, kind of looked like Tom Gillespie, about the same height. And uh, he had a spider tattoo, spider web tattoo over his entire head. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen. First of all, I, I don't know much about tattoos, but I think they're painful. But the, your head also is very sensitive and bleeds a lot when you poke it. So it's amazing to me that anybody would get their head tattooed. Which is amazing. This man had a completely real dense spider tattoo over his whole head. He was obviously homeless. He was a mess. He was a mess. He was walking out there and had that spider tattoo on him and his head. And I looked at him and I said, Jim, there go I, but by the grace of God. And I got thinking about it. It had me a little spell. That would be something I would have done had it not meant Jesus. There go I, but by the grace of God. And through the years, I think that's not a bad idea to keep reminding yourself when you see people that are down and out and see people that are in trouble because of sin. That's where sin will take you too. Sin will take everything good and nice that you hold dear and they'll strip it away from you. Or... It'll make, you, it'll make you so rich with the things of the world that it'll blind you to the real riches of God and strip you from what God wants you to have. Either way, you get stripped of what God wants you to have because of sin. I like what in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, it says, Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. For his grace and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. There's an unusual relationship between 
free will and God's will. Uh, they, they actually never quite, I, I like a commentator I read the other day about free will and, and God's will. He said there's a tension in Scripture, just like this verbiage. There's a tension in Scripture between the free will of man and God's will. There's tension. Because we know a sovereign God, ultimately, is everything's going to come around. He'll cause even the evil to praise him. And yet, at the same time, he gives you an honest, accountable free will. How does that happen? How can it be? But it is, and it's taught in Scripture, it's true. But there is a tension, a certain tension between those two truths. Paul said, look, I'm by the grace of God, it's been by the grace of God that <clears throat> he took me out of being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a legalist that believed somehow he could work his way into heaven. You say, nobody believes they can work their way into heaven. Are you kidding me? 90 plus percent of the people I meet, and I'm serious about this, and anybody who goes door to door will say the same thing. 90% of the people we meet believe they're going to go to heaven somehow on their good works. <clears throat> that's our ego for you. That's, that's the old man. The old man has got a big ego. He thinks, well, I've given a lot or I've done a lot. I helped an old lady across the street. She didn't want to go, but I helped her across. If it was not for the sheer grace of God, now what is the grace of God? Well, some people said the grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, and that's a fine definition. Another person has said it's unmerited favor. Another person said it's power and desire to do God's will. I like all those definitions. They're all good. They all come around. I don't think you're going to get your head around the grace of God fully. But it wouldn't be for the grace of God, I'd either be in hell today or going to hell. It's by his mercy and kindness that I was able to hear about Jesus and his death on the cross and his burial and resurrection. Thank God for people. I don't care what their motive was. I don't even care what the motives of those people were. When they told me about Jesus and tell me the Bible's the word of God. Anybody that holds this book up, I don't care how they, you know, listen to me. Anybody that stands in front of you and says the Bible's the word of God is doing you a big favor, big favor. Huge favor. <clears throat> Let's take your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, a well, well-worn, and, and everything I'm going to do tonight is well-worn. If you've been in church for very long, if you've come here for 20 years, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, you could maybe get up and do this. I hope, you know, I hope you get so familiar with the Bible that when the preacher gets up there, you say, I know what he's going to say. Oh, now that's a good place to be. That means you're reading your book. That's where you want to go. Amen. Hey, somebody gets up there and sings Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound of saved a rich like me. I've heard it a thousand times, and I don't care. I'd love to hear it again. Sing it over again to me, wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see, wonderful words of life. The things of God really don't get boring if you're, unless you're backslid. And when you're backslid, you'll be, oh, that's boring. I've had people leave the church because they say, same old, same old preacher. 
I'll say, if you get right with God, it won't be the same old, same old. The fire of the Holy Spirit will keep you fresh. So we see the rich young ruler. I want to read it real quick, make a couple comments. Behold, one came, verse 16. The only one came and said to him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Bingo. He covered about 90% of the people I've met. What good thing can I do? To, and he's talking to Jesus, which is going to die for him pretty soon. Not yet, but he's going to die for him. And going to offer salvation as a free gift based upon his blood presented by the Holy of Holies in heaven and being accepted by the Father, sealed by the resurrection. Now he's talking to the person that's going to do that for him. And he's saying, how can I bypass you and be saved? When you think you can do good works and go to heaven, you're basically saying to Jesus, how can I bypass you? Because if you can get to Jesus without him, you've bypassed him, and really he didn't need to go on the cross and do all that, Garden of Gethsemane and all of that Via Della Rosa and all that other stuff. He didn't need to do any of that. If you can work your way to heaven, this old boy, and, and you know, by the way, Jesus looked on him and loved him. Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou will have eternal life, keep the commandments. So I think Jesus is kind of playing the game with him. He's going to say, okay, you, okay, you, okay, all right. You think you can get to heaven by good works? Well, let's, let's play some poker. Five card stud. We're going to play some poker here. He says, uh, Keep the commandments. That was making a call. He called him, made him put his made him put his cards up on the table. He says, "Well, well." He says, "What?" And then Jesus names the commandments. He goes down through in there. He says, "He said to Jesus, trying to stall, <laughs> which." He says, "Thou not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and mother." And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, he, he did not mention the last one, the 10th commandment. And the guy says, ooh, I'm good. The young man said, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Now, that's, woo, that's big ego, right? I mean, think about it. And then Jesus Puts his cards on the table where you show everybody what your cards are. Here's what he said. Jesus said, if thou be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. How close was that boy to heaven? Jesus didn't even dispute the claim that he had never broken them other commandments. But what he went to was the commandment he was obviously breaking Covetous, thou shalt not covet. And so the, it says, when the young man heard these sayings, he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had a lot of stuff. He had great possessions. And then Jesus said, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. When his disciples heard this, they were exceedingly, not a little bit, but exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? Because they viewed riches as a blessing from God. 
the Old Testament typically viewed riches as a blessing from God. So if this, this rich young ruler was blessed of God and had all these riches, Jesus unwinds all that. He was relying on his status and his own personal works to make it heaven. And in that way, there ain't no way he was going to make it. No more than a camel would go through a little eye of a sewing needle. But Jesus held them, beheld them and said, with men this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. I like that. I like he added that on the end. He left a little window, didn't he? He left a little hope there. Left a little hope, this boy. But he went away sad. That boy walked away from eternal life. In Mark chapter 10, verse 17 and following, which is a parallel passage there, the Bible says that Jesus looked on him and loved him. He wasn't, he wasn't angry at the young man. He was sad for the young man. He loved the boy. He said, take everything. Now, what if that boy had done what he said, took all of his possessions he probably inherited from his father, his grandfather, and probably whatever he had made, and what if he went down and sold them all and gave them to the poor? People would have said, you fool, you fool, you fool, you fool. But we're 2,000 years from him. What would we say? You wise, you're wiser than most any man I've ever walked the planet. You mean to tell me you gave all that stuff up? Yes, he gave up that which you could not keep to keep what you could not lose. Oh, God, help us to see it. Oh, God, help us to see it. Because let me tell you, we need grace to see that. All I can say is about that rich young ruler, that's, me, but by the grace of God. That's me, but by the grace of God. M many of you, I did a whole sermon on Judas Iscariot a number of years ago. Judas Iscariot. Judas never had the Holy Spirit. He never, he never was saved. He was hoping that there would come a physical kingdom as, as a lot of the, them were back then, they were hoping Jesus was going to bring in a physical kingdom. And as a miracle worker, he would overcome all the Roman legions, all the horrible oppression they were under. He would, with a, with a word, he, would, he could feed 5,000 plus children and women in a word. What could he do to the Romans? It gave him hope that if we finally got a redeemer here, a king that's going to, what they were looking at, they didn't understand the two comings of Christ, the first coming and second coming. They didn't know about that. They couldn't see it. And so they were hoping, and I think Judas was was one of, specifically one that believed Jesus was going to bring in the physical kingdom of God and overcome the dreaded Romans, and they were going to get theirs. When he began to see, as the time played out, when he began to see Jesus telling him he was going to go to Jerusalem and be betrayed of men and be crucified and raised the third day, that was not according to the agenda of Judas. Whoa, 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 whoa. If you had seen Jesus do the miracles that he did, would you normally believe that anybody could hurt him? Would you believe anybody could hurt him? I wouldn't. I saw him walk on water. I saw him count a storm with a word. I wouldn't believe that anybody in the flesh, I wouldn't believe anybody could hurt him. Whenever somebody came to hurt him, he could just, he could become invisible, slip out of their midst. 
And he did in Nazareth at the brow of the hill there. If you go to Israel, you may see that brow. There's only one. And so you would think, and I think in the flesh, without the Holy Spirit's guidance on this, Judas thought, this, there's no way. So he goes to the uh, Sanhedrin and he says, I'll, I'll give him into your hands. How much are you going to give me? 30 pieces of silver. Well, he, he was covetous, no doubt. But I don't think I don't think Judas himself believed that Jesus was was conquerable. Nobody was going to overcome him. So if he so-called betrayed him into their hands, it would end up just forcing Jesus' hand to manifest his power in front of them when they came to arrest him. In fact, it says in John when they came to arrest him, he says, "I am." They all fell backwards. That's the only gospel that records that they fell backwards. That's because the "I am" was there. And in honor of the I am, God had those boys fall backwards. But you understand what Jesus crucified, in a word, he could stop that. I believe there came a point in the crucifixion where he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, to save them. Because the Father was ready to wipe them. They were so cruel, so horribly cruel, so mockingly cruel to Jesus. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, Roman soldiers, wow. So Judas, and the Bible says he was a thief. He prostituted himself thinking that he could sell Jesus out somehow and come out the other side even to the place of betraying him with a kiss. A kiss is a symbol of endearment. It's a symbol of trust. Not not just anybody lets you kiss them. It's a symbol of trust. And master and kiss him. Even Jesus said, betrayest thou the Son of God with a kiss, Judas? How bad is the flesh? Real bad. Real bad. But you know what I think about when I think of Judas? There go I, except for the grace of God. There go I, but by the grace of God, because the flesh in me is every bit as wicked as the flesh in him. The difference is I repented and trusted Christ as my Savior, and he gave me the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is what keeps me from doing stuff like that. The Holy Spirit is what keeps me from doing what the rich young ruler did. The Holy Spirit, there were two thieves, one on each side of Jesus. Both of them railed on him. One of them repented of it and said, Father, remember me when thou comest. Jesus, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. He said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The other one kept railing and died right beside his Savior. That could be me. I could be this thief, not that thief, but by the grace of God. You starting to see where I'm going on this? How indebted we are. Indebted how? By gratitude. I'm indebted with gratitude. Jesus said, Bill, I want you to quit drinking Mountain Dew. I'll quit it. Now, if Dr. Bailey says it, no. Jesus says it, yes. 
Jesus says, I go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I want you to embarrass yourself. I want you to go on and put yourself in confrontational situations that make your gut get tight and make you nervous and sweat, get your hands sweaty. I'll do it. He who gave himself for me asked me to do a bus ministry, be a bus captain. I did it. 18 years old with a little baby in Elkhart, Indiana, below zero weather. Unbelievable. You bus people here, God bless you. It's tough, but it ain't that bad. The below zero part, man. Those guys are doing that in Chicago at Ohio's church. I went there one year in 1990. I think it was 1992. They had 250 buses come and go. 250 buses picking up kids all over South Chicago. By the way, I don't know if you know Chicago. Chicago is massive. It's miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. I don't know quite the statistic of South Chicago, but it wouldn't be surprised if South Chicago was 60 miles wide. Wouldn't surprise me. And they, they swept over South Chicago with those buses over and over and over again. And I actually heard people criticize them for that. Can you imagine that? Trying to go out there and reach the unreached and somebody's criticizing them. Don't criticize people that are trying to reach the unreached. Get behind them, help them. Or if you don't want to say anything good, don't say anything at all. They're trying to reach the unreached. They're making an effort. This car show we're doing, it may not be a good car show, but it's something we're trying to get the attention of people so that we can give the message of the Jesus saves to them. That's what it's all about. Amen. There go I, but by the grace of God. What happens when you, when you journey into sin, it gains momentum. Sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you pay, and keep you longer than you want to stay. Even close association with the Lord Jesus, hearing his teaching, watching his miracles, you can be that close to it and be lost. You can sit under the preaching of the Bible and be lost. I'm not trying to shake you tonight. Unless you're like Judas, trusting in your good works to somehow make it make it to heaven. Don't do it. Don't do it. There's some great characters in the Bible. There's some great characters in the Bible. You have Daniel, one of my favorite of all. I think, I said, I'm just going to say Daniel and Joseph are my two favorite characters in the Bible. And why wouldn't they be? There's nothing bad said about them. There's nothing bad said about Daniel. There's nothing bad said about Joseph. Both of them suffered long and hard for the kingdom of God. Joseph, of course, 13 years in prison, innocent man. Daniel, castrated, I get that right, castrated as a young boy, only potential family taken away from him, made a slave of the people who killed his mom and dad and all these destroyed a city he was born and raised in. I think he was a great-grandson of Hezekiah, I believe that'd be right, or it was Josiah. And, you know, he could have been bitter. Nobody would have blamed him. But he wasn't bitter. He just got better. He just trusted God for it. Something goes bad for you, don't get bitter. Get better. There's a little song that says, Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose. And dare to make it known. We ought to sing it sometime. Brother Jimmy, get the music for that. Let's sing it sometime. Dare to be a Daniel. They do it in junior church, but some of them junior church songs are good. 
I like the one that says, everything's all right in my father's house, in my father's house, in my father's house. Everything's all right in my father's house. Where there's joy, joy, joy. Good songs. Daniel, purpose in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. In Genesis 18, 19, it says, For I know him, that is Abraham, they will command his children and his household after him. Men in this room, will you command your house? Or will, let you, will you let your wife run it? Oh, it got quiet. Whether you like it or not, or whoever you happen to let run your house, I'm going to tell you a fact of the Bible. You, not your wife, are going to be held accountable. Because God's appointed you the leader. And the, the buck stops with you. And if you let your wife run it and mess it up, you're going to answer for your, her, her malbehavior and yours. By letting her do that. Listen, no born-again Bible believer should have an upside-down house. Boy, that's good preaching. I ought to preach that 50 years ago. Amen, brother. Them old World War II boys, they didn't have no upside-down houses. Sometimes I get around an upside-down house. Now, I'm going to tell you what an upside-down house is. That's where the woman is ruling the roost. And uh, all I can tell you, I had roosters, and I had chickens. I had, I had hens, and I had. I can tell you, even in the even chicken, even chickens know who's boss. A rooster, man, he's the king. He'll stand there. He'll stand there and pose. And they are beautiful, by the way. Them chickens are beautiful. They'll pose for you. And then there's a head rooster even. Out of, I had 50 roosters. There was a head rooster. There was one head rooster. And he got, he was, man, he was cocky. That's why I liked him. I thought, man, that boy right there, he, he, he exemplifies testosterone. And I thought, oh, I admire him. And one day my wife went to work dressed up, got her nylons on, her fancy clothes. I go to the bank and she, I was in the shower. She took off. Pretty soon she comes back. I didn't even hear her come back in. She comes in the shower, scared me. Comes by the shower, crying, ha, 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 help me. I thought, man, somebody attacked her, trying to rape her. I'm figuring out where my gun's at. I've got no clothes on. I'm like, this is not a good time for this to happen. And so I'm figuring out, she says, I said, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? She's bleeding down her leg, blood running down her leg. He hit me, attacked me, attacked me, attacked me. I'm thinking, he, who's he? It was my favorite rooster. <laughs> King of the mountain. Number one rooster. And he got so cocky, he took her on. <laughs> she said, he'll be dead when I come home tonight. Right? I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> I may look stupid, but I that's stupid. I'm not trading my woman for a rooster. (laughs) 
He said about Abraham, he says, he's going to command his children and his household after him. He has special blessings upon him. He's the one that said in Genesis 22, 8, he said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. That was so prophetic, so prophetic. Man, if you're willing to give everything up for God, even your child, God will give you so much more back. He'll give you so much more back. And he got his kid back. When Abraham pulled that knife to slay that kid, he meant what he was going to do. He was going to he was going to cut his jugular vein and watch him die right in front of him on that on that pile of wood because God said to do it. And and, and this is what we only learn in the New Testament. The Old Testament people did not know this in writing, but we know it. In, in Hebrews chapter eleven verse nineteen, it says, "Here's what it says about Abraham. Here's what he was thinking." Accounting that God was able to raise him up, that is Isaac, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now that is some faith, man. Whoa. I say, oh God, help me to be like Daniel. Oh God, help me to be like Abraham. Oh God, help me to be like David. David, David, man after God's own heart. I know David failed. David was fraught with fleshy failure, disobeyed God, had more than one wife. That was his first problem. The Bible was clear. If you're a ruler, you only had one wife in the Old Testament. And those boys disobeyed that, and it, it was a hurt them. And now, and you know better than having more than one woman in the kitchen. You got more sense than that. People have said to me foolishly, they said, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have more than one wife? You believe men talk like that? I said, are you out of your mind? I can barely handle the one I got. Double the trouble. I mean, David. Man after God's own heart. Mentioned that in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, by the way, New Testament. He was a man after God's own heart. God saw something in David that was akin to his own heart. And he said, I'm going to make the son of Jesse king over the children of Israel. Now he knew, the foreknowledge of God, knew he was going to sin with Bathsheba. But when he anointed him, he knew he was going to do that. He knew he was going to kill her husband. Isn't it amazing? God uses people instead of, in spite of failure if they'll repent and turn back all through the Bible. Oh, I'll tell you what, I don't want to be a Judas. I don't want to be a rich young ruler. I don't want to be a young, the one thief on the, wrong, on the cross that was hung beside Jesus and lost it all. I want to be like Daniel. I want to be like Abraham. I want to be like David. I want to be like that thief that said, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Do you? I believe if you go to God and make this a prayer, Lord Jesus, give me the heart of David. Don't you think he'd answer that? Don't you think he'd answer that? You people have children. If your children came up to you, you being evil, 
Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more your Father in heaven to give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I mean, you know, if your kid comes up to you and said, is it possible that you would allow me to clean the house or to pick my stuff up or to help you do something or to mow the lawn or, or to help do the dishes? You say, first of all, you go, wow. Sure, I'll be glad of that. You don't think as you go to the Heavenly Father, which is a better father than you and I have ever been, and you go to him and say, well, God, could you give me a heart like David? Could you, give me a, could you give me a resolve like Daniel who dared to stand alone? Could you, give me the, the, could you keep me from bitterness like, like you kept Joseph from bitterness? Could you give me the courage to stand in the face of adversity like Elijah? Could you help me to have the resolve of Paul the apostle, the tender spirit of John the apostle? I believe God will answer those prayers for you. He'll help you. He'll make it so. But what good father wouldn't make that so? You young people in this room, good time starting to pray in those kind of prayers. God, help me to be like these examples we have in the scripture. Going back to Key West, seeing that man walking around with that spider web tattoo living just off scraps, smoking butts on the street, trying to get a little alcohol once in a while. I said, oh, God. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for saving me. But without your grace, there go I. Father, help us tonight to see this by the blessed Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.